This podcast is a production of Phoenix Media. Explore more episodes of this show and other great shows on the Phoenix Media Podcast Network by visiting phoenixmedia.us. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the company or its advertisers and may contain language that's unsuitable for younger listeners. Welcome to the Dogish Podcast, the only podcast dedicated to the dog parents and topics, events, and personalities impacting their lives. My name is Jason Arias, founder of Forever USA, uh, photography experience for you and the dog who stole your heart. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Miss Sylvia Wess, uh, trainer extraordinaire and owner of Dog Up and This Bitch. How are you today? Um, Man, beyond... I, I might need to like improve my timing on that because it almost came off like bitch how are you today but that's not it was yeah of dog up in this bitch and how and, are you today <laughs> yeah i think like a slight pause because our listeners might be like damn they are comfortable right um i am floored about today's guest I've been that's how i am about this like i am so excited. you've been talking about it and i have not you did not amply prepare me for the amount of excitement i know that i should be experiencing we talked to Lori caliph Yes. Um, who is the direct program, dire- the program, program director, director yeah, yeah. at ASPCAI and SPCAI. S, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I, this is how excited I am. Well, we'll be I'm like about fumbling over my words. Like the, it's the connections crazy. And, and, and all of that kind of stuff. But um, you're not going to want to. She's miss my spirit animal. A everyone of this show. It's incredible. Hello, Lori. How are you today? Hi, Jason. I'm great. How are you doing? Fantastic. <laughs> I am. I am elated to introduce you to my co-host, Sylvia. Gosh. I think you guys are like already are kicking it off great. And yeah, think, Jason, actually, I think we've got it from here. If you just wanted to. Would not be the first take time. Lunch. <laughs> <laughs> I love the preamble before we actually started recording. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I've known Sylvia for about 20 years already. <laughs> it probably. <laughs> so awesome I'm stuff. super, super excited to to have uh, Lori on the show. Um, you're with SPCA International and we got to work with you guys and it's been over a year now when, when we did that, uh, that, oh, what was it? My next bowl. I think that was the program yeah. was called, right? And when we got to kind of launch into that project with you, for me, it was, it, again, and this might just be classic American. We get so, or just classic person. We get so wrapped up into our own worlds. And I had like this idea of what animal welfare was like, and it never really crossed my mind of what was going on uh, around the world for animal mm-hmm. welfare and and what rescues look like. And I remember uh, you would mention like, Hey, we just opened up a, uh, our first rescue in Iraq. And, I, and that was just, just that one phrase alone was like, <laughs> it opened up a whole new world. So getting to have you on the show and being able to talk about some of this stuff and then compounding it with what's going on with COVID around the world. I'm just like, I kind of just want to be quiet and just send you off. <laughs> oh, well put a placeholder on that Iraq because we'll, once uh, some of the restrictions lift, we'll get you on a mission with us to Iraq. Love that. <laughs> Wait, what's happening? Wow. Should I take lunch? No. All right. So I had, 
a question that I'm sure many of our listeners will have because um, I'm very familiar with like obviously the SPCA, but don't know the difference between the SPCA and SPCAI. So can you break that down? Yeah, thank you. So we do get mistaken for being affiliated with all the SPCAs around the world, both in Canada and the U.S., um, but what it is basically is an acronym that anybody could own. So we're not affiliated with any other SBCAs. Um, and just for just in case, I get, I get this question quite often, what does SBCA stand for? Um, it's Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. And so we are just international. Um, so we don't have shelters like most SBCAs have. We're completely program-based and we run or um, campaigns all around the world by building partnerships. So uh, one of the, one of what Jason and I were working on, I can't believe it's been a year, by the way. Is I think it it's been more than a year. year. Yeah. Nuts. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. But we could just like not count last year. So it's only been like a few months. Right. <laughs> None of us have gotten older. <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> Shirts haven't gotten tighter. <laughs> <laughs> Mine have always been this tight. <laughs> I just, you know, I, I look to see if I put them in the dryer or not. Anyway, I'm digressing. Um, so we build part. <laughs> my husband, I'm like, honey, did you put this one in the dryer? Because I told you it's hang dry only. He's like, no, babe, I've stopped putting all your shirts in the dryer. <laughs> I look to see the material to see if they shrink just by hanging them after they're washed. And I think most do anyway. Um, anyway, it's uh, so back to the dip. What right. difference between? <laughs> Oh, right. Animal welfare. We've digressed <laughs> and we're back. Animal welfare, <laughs> prevention of cruelty, international. So you're setting up programs all over the world then. Yeah. So we have four main programs. Um, the program that Jason and I were working on back a year ago for My Next Bowl uh, was through our shelter support fund program. And that is a program where we help uh, smaller organizations and shelters all around the world. I think we're in about close to 80 countries now. Wow. Um, we help with funding, we help with supplies, we help with humane education, we help with legislation, disaster relief when it's needed. Um, and of course our main focus and mandate is spay and neuter because without spay and neuter, um, you know, we're just, we're, we're not doing our job. So in order for there not to be any cruelty, uh, neglect, starvation, disease, it's to control the animal population. Mm. Um, so that's, that's our biggest mandate. And what we do is we're actually a really quite a small team. Um, we're based in New York city. Um, but what our job is and what our focus is, is to build partnerships around the world so that we can get the work done. Um, and a lot of these partnerships we work with, um, side by side when we can pre COVID times, we were, you know, on an airplane probably every six to eight weeks. Um, to places like Iraq, places where I don't usually tell my family about until I come home. You <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, I'm just going to 
someplace. <laughs> well, the worst part is, is when we go to a country that we have to change our SIM cards and we don't have the same phone number. So at night, I make sure that the time, <laughs> my parents are not going to be watching this, right? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> Only if you tell them about it. <laughs> I have to switch the SIM card once I'm on Wi-Fi just to say, oh, hi. Yeah, just a big long day. Sorry to get back. Sorry to get back to you now. Everything's but. fine. I'm in Florida. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I feel a break coming up, but I'm like I'm fascinated. Like my first question would be: Has there been anything that has been scary on these trips? Like, does do we have time to answer that, Sylvia, or do we need to take a quick break? You do have time to answer it, right? So, like, has there been anything that's really been kind of spooky on these trips? I mean, it doesn't have to be one. I mean, we, we all have this mindset of scary countries or other places um, doing animal welfare and rescue here in the United States has extremely scary situations to go into. So it's not that different, but um, have you gone anywhere that was particularly dicey? Well, actually, now, Jason, oh, now because of your long-winded question, <laughs> we do have to take a break. <laughs> this is going to be a long, long answer. Yeah. So. Okay, good, good, good. So right when we get back, you share some of your scary experiences. Okay, sounds good. We're back. So, Lori, share with us one of your, I mean, maybe like the top most and then maybe like the second most, maybe the third too, however you feel like sharing. Sure. So, I think that most people, when they hear places like Middle East, like Lebanon and Iraq, they think of what they see that's sensationalized on through the media, right? right. Um, they think about tanks <laughs> driving down the streets and people, you know, just always... Um, in, in hiding or, you know, they think of like war. And of course, these mm. are war-torn areas of the world that we are visiting. But our biggest job is to make sure that when we visit these places, we make sure that our team is safe. We work with security teams on the ground. Um, and so we're not going to do anything that is, um, will put anybody's life at risk. Um, and again, this goes back to building the partnerships that we need. So, I'm just going to kind of, I have a lot of drop down menus when I speak. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so um, one of the programs that we, um, that we run that we travel to the Middle East for mainly is called Operation Baghdad Pups Worldwide. And we rescue and reunite dogs and cats befriended by U.S. service members who are deployed to these um, challenging areas of the world. Um, and so there's a lot of places that we can't go as North Americans. So we, um, we are uh, part of our plan is, you know, this, these, these missions take a few months to plan because we have to find the right security teams. We have to find the right members on the ground who have the authorization to go into some of these areas, like mm. the bases, like we do a lot of rescue from Syria, but we can't go into Syria, but we have drivers and security teams and the military who are able to do that for us. So back to your original question, I think that, um, you know, my first trip to Iraq was a little bit, you know, in the back of my mind. I'm like, what am I doing? Where am I going? Sure. Um, but arriving, I can imagine. <laughs> arriving into um, the where we have our main operations, which is in Kurdistan, um, 
I have never been greeted by such open arms and such beautiful, beautiful people. I felt so comfortable and so safe there. And, um, you know, so that, that, that quickly, once you visit the area, you, you know, that the fear dissipates. Mm. Um, but another tip that we took, I think that was probably even, a, you know, a little bit more frightening was um, Chernobyl. We worked in Chernobyl. Whoa. <laughs> we usually get that response. That one I'm not interested in going on. <laughs> oh, no, they're, they're doing like full-blown tours there now. I've watched all the documentaries on Chernobyl and the stuff that's going there, the people that still live inside Chernobyl. And like, it's, it's a fascinating area. Wow. So you went to Chernobyl to rescue dogs. Who are you? Sorry. <laughs> Can we be friends forever? Like, Absolutely. gosh, I want to be a fly like on the wall of every mission you're on, but okay. You're in Chernobyl. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, I think I wake up every single day since I've been working with SBC International thinking, I can't believe I get to do what I get to do. Um, we can go back to that in, in later on if you'd like to know how that started too. Absolutely. Um, but with Chernobyl, uh, obviously it's the most radiated place in the world still, about 36 years after the disaster. Um, so when we got an email asking us if we can help with a large scale spay and neuter program for the, uh, there was about at this time about a thousand dogs and cats, descendants from the dogs and cats left behind after the disaster. Wow. Um, you know, we thought, wow, this is unheard of. We couldn't believe that this was happening. And I don't think that a lot of people knew that there were actually still animals living in the area. Um, so there's a lot of obviously precautions that you have to take when you're entering into such a highly radiated zone, mm. covering your sleep, covering your arms with long sleeves. Um, Know, wearing the right shoes we go through we have decimeters that measure our radiation levels at the end of the day you are actually exposed to more radiation if you're flying <laughs> like, like we do so we were safe all the time none of us were ever exposed to high doses of radiation um, but there was that fear entering into chernobyl um, you know you hear about it on the news you hear the stories you read the articles and uh I have to say it's one of the most humbling places I've ever visited in my entire life. It's, um, it's almost apocalyptic. Mm -hmm. You can walk through the areas in the 30 kilometer um, zone and you can walk through people's homes and the tables are still set for dinner. And you go through the libraries and the books I don't know how they've managed to survive are still there. Newspapers are scattered all over the ground from 36 years ago. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I think that was probably a little bit, you know, because you never know what's going to happen if you get exposed to a high sure. dose of radiation. And we were right under the sarcophagus where, where the, the, the nuclear tower that exploded uh, during the disaster was, but it's covered in lead encasing. Um, but even that lead encasing is only going to last a hundred years. It's failing. Wow. Like they're, they're in the midst of uh, rebuilding a new container around all of it and dealing with, no, that's that whole area is just like, it's incredible. It's really, it's interesting on so many levels, but like, um, so 
tell us a little bit more about the project. So you guys went there for a spay and neuter of a thousand cats and dogs. Like, how does that happen? So you guys are working like in the center of where all of this occurred. And who called you? That's what I <laughs> So thank you for asking. This goes back to how we do, how we do our work. It's with partnerships. So we got a, um, a message from a radiation specialist um, who runs Lucas Hickson. He runs his own uh, nonprofit organization. They're mitigating. They, they work primarily in Chernobyl or any zones that have been affected by radiation. And um, he kept visiting the area and he was there to help with the people basically who are still being affected by the radiation people, the workers, a lot of people don't know this, that the plant is still in existence and there are workers there that go in day, day after day after day. There are people, like you said, Jason, who work there, um, but they can only live on the premises for three weeks at a time rotations. Um, So he kept getting off this train the train itself is an experience <laughs> because we stayed about 45 kilometers outside Chernobyl. They built um, a new worker town called Slavudic. And that's where all the workers live. And so we would take the train. It would take about 45 minutes. And it feels like this old Soviet Union era train. Um, you know, there's no air conditioning in the summer and there's no, there are wow. no rooms and um, it goes through Belarus and um, it's quite phenomenal. And so he kept getting off the train and he was greeted by all these dogs mm. and couldn't believe how many dogs were living in that zone. And he thought, well, I need to do something about this. And so he contacted us and a couple of other organizations, and he kind of already had the project um, configured before we got involved. And so that first year, which is 1997, 1997, my goodness, <laughs> 2017. <laughs> Small swing in time. <laughs> I was like, whoa. <laughs> um, we... Um, we visited and we couldn't believe how incredibly um, up and running this was already. And because he had um, already formed all these relationships with the nuclear power plant, he was able to get the supplies in and the vets who volunteered, all volunteers, of course. And there's a team, I think the first year of about 45 people and it was four weeks long. And um, we were only there for about a week. And then we, um, had big discussions afterwards, and then um, we became the sole partnership with Clean Futures Fund. And so we entered into an agreement for the next three years to, um, to spay and neuter uh, most of the population. So a successful spay and neuter campaign is penetrating about 80% of the, the population. And I think we got up to about 83% um, by the end of it. And so wow. now we're just managing if there are new litters each year. No, I, I don't know if this is an uncomfortable question or not, but I'm sure other people are wondering, were, the, were all the animals relatively healthy? Yeah, no, that's not an uncomfortable yeah. question. That's the first question we get asked all the time. Yeah. Yeah, um, we never saw, so when we're talking about health, um, the worst thing that we would see are viruses or illnesses. Um, and that's just contempt. That that's just what happens in a yeah. normal population, stray animal population. Um, and not stray animal population. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one of the biggest things was obviously to make sure that when we're spaying, neutering them, that they're all okay and that we would vaccinate them, deworm them. And we would also um, treat them for any uh, injuries. And um, we would also, in their ear tags, we would uh, put in a tiny little decimeter to measure their radiation over the years. Oh, wow. So fast forward to today, none of them have internal contamination. As far as we know, there's just surface contamination. So we would, part of our job was to take a decimeter and um, scan their entire body there and especially their foot pads because that they're walking around all the time. Um, And some of them had high levels. And this is what blew me away the first time was that soap and water. That's all it took. Just washing it off with soap and water. And then they were okay. They were good to go. Yeah. I mean, I don't really... I'm just floored by the whole idea of this because a, you don't think of Chernobyl and go, but the animals that are living there, because I don't know, but also why wouldn't there be animals there? You know? Um, But it's just not the first thing that you think of. And then when I do think of like, Oh my gosh, there are animals there. Wow. My mind doesn't think like they're totally healthy and walking around and normal and fine. Like that's just not where my mind goes at all. So I am, utterly flabbergasted by this information (laughs) um and we're gonna take a quick break sure but um more 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 stories when we get back (laughs) (laughs) okay so we're back now yeah we're back sweet we're back in the break, I, my, I'm just reeling. Like my mind is like, how do none of them have cancer? I'm just, I'm just, I'm on. A, it's, I'm confused. So um, I'm when, we, when we're talking, um, I, I'm curious. Like, are there literally like, like little corgis and German shepherds, and they've all created their own little commune? Like, like what kind of dogs and cats are we talking? I about? need to know more about this. <laughs> yeah. Um, thank you for asking. It's, it's one of my favorite. Um, projects to talk about because it's just so out of the ordinary and nobody ever considers that there are animals living there. Sylvia, I know during the break, I think you were talking about like, I can't believe there are animals there. Here's another drop down menu. They're not just cats and dogs. There's horses. Um, there was a lone fox. His name is Simon. I don't think he's uh, alive. I think he, he passed away this year. Um, there's a, a moose and a singular moose. Well, we, that's what we think, living in the Pripyat area, which is the most contaminated. Wow. And, um, <laughs> and, and insects and birds, and you just don't consider this. Um, but one thing we always joke about, like the mosquitoes there are about this size. So like they're nuclear. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> you can put on as much repellent as you want and they will bite you through. I mean, repellent. at this point, they've survived like a nuclear disaster. I think evolution <laughs> is in their favor when it comes to DEET, you know. DEET. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it is, it's really interesting. I mean, we're talking about a lot of people ask that question, Jason, like, what do the animals look like? Do they have five legs? Are they missing? Mm. Well, I just like, like when I think of like wild dogs, cause, I mean, we've transitioned over the, over the last 30, 35 years when the animal population would be continuing to grow. These aren't domesticated dogs anymore. They may have 
started from being domesticated, but now we have like multiple breeds that would be living in that area. And again, I'm just shooting from the hip. I don't, I don't know, but like, is it like, what kind of dogs are living there? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So there were numerous breeds at the time of the disaster. Um, but now we're talking about like, you know, 10, 12 generations later. And this is what you're, you're asking about the radiation levels and, and, and how the dogs survive. How they even were able to reproduce. Mm-hmm. I mean, all right. And there are, there are, um, there, there's a history, there's photos taken after the, you know, the first couple of years of what the dogs looked like. And, and they were very affected by the radiation and they were mutated. Wow. Um, it's really, their heart, the photos are hard to look at. There aren't many, but over time, and this is what the beauty of it is, is that nature kind of rebuilt itself. Um, and we're talking about like the tree, not just the animals. Yeah. The I was thinking like vegetation. Cause when I think of Chernobyl and I think of like this disaster area, like I just picture this like black and very charred and like kind of untenable earth that like nothing is growing from. So when you're like, there's a moose and a horse running around, I'm like, what are they eating? <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately some of them are eating each other. <laughs> oh, wow. So, <laughs> the biggest threat for these dogs are, the wolves in the surrounding forests Mm. and because um, the trees and um, the land has become so lush and there's so much regrowth the wolves have started to come in closer into the zone so what do the dogs look like they look like wolf hybrids 90% of them they look like they're they're mixed with wolves um, but friendly and so the biggest threat again is the predation and so when the wolves come in and they're hungry and it's winter and the winters are so cold there, we've sadly lost a lot of the population. And that's, that's how they're, um, you know, the the survivors stay close to the power plant as possible. Um, And a lot of people ask, what do the dogs eat? And uh, the workers are the ones who feed them. And the workers absolutely love these dogs. You get off the train and you see all the workers like grabbing things from the mess hall and um, feeding all the dogs and stuff. And um, but part of what we did actually was to uh, start up a uh, feeding program as well with Clean Futures Fund. So we still fund that program and there's teams that go in uh, whenever the power plant is open. So five days a week and feed all the dogs and they live in little communities, little packs. Like I want to go. Like, I know it sounds wow. dangerous, but I would, I would hop on and I would join that trip in a heartbeat. That's yeah. incredible. Okay. Do it. So now I have to know earlier I asked, who are you? But seriously, uh-huh. like, how did you, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I didn't, didn't realize you were drinking. Um, how did you, um, how, how did you get, how did this come to you, this job? How did you, Lori, become SPCA International Chernobyl Traveler Eater <laughs> of Radioactive Dogs. How did how did this become? Well, you know what? I didn't even say what I do for the organization. I'm, yeah. the, pro- I'm the program director. <laughs> um, so, what is the program director? Um, so, I'm in charge of um, the program operations. So, we, I'll, I'll get back to ha- the other programs that we run as well. Um, but we have such an incredible team. And a lot of people say, well, how do you do this? And, you know, how do you know all this? How do you figure it all out? And I, and I don't. It's just because mm. we have such a great team and we have great partners on the ground. 
to be able to do the work that we do. Um, so how did I get into this? <laughs> My very first memory, I, I have this incredible long-term memory. My short-term memory is terrible. Like I can't remember what I ate <laughs> dinner last night, um, but my long-term memory is very great. And um, my first memory is of my mother taking me to a department store. I'm from Montreal, Canada. And I remember her taking me there and she said, you get to pick out a bath toy. And I said, oh, okay. I remember thinking that. I mean, of course, this is like, you know, visualized in my head and probably a little exaggerated. And there was a pink whale bath toy and it was missing a fin. And that's the one I wanted. And mm. she said, why are you taking that one? It's broken. And I said, it's not broken. It's perfect to me. That's the one I want. And she said, okay. So uh, it started then. Um, and then earlier memories of me, my mother says this, I was walking, I used to crawl across the street before I can even walk. It was the seventies and the doors were left open. And like you know, <laughs> kids were naked <laughs> and I would always end up across the street um, with my neighbor's dog, Casey. And so um, it, it began there, but fast forward to when I was about 12 or 13, um, I was always rescuing like the cats off the street and bringing them home. And um, my parents are also big animal lovers. And back in the day, there, were, there weren't any restrictions to volunteer, no age restrictions to volunteer at mm. shelters. And so a few days after school, my parents would take me to the shelter and we'd feed all the cats. My dad and I would walk all the dogs that nobody, that everybody was afraid of walking. And so it just kind of <laughs> organically rolled out from there. And um, went away to university thinking I you know, didn't know what I wanted to do, didn't actually know that I could uh, have a career and live my dharma, my passion for animals. <laughs> and this could be my, my everyday life. Um, so she was born for it, Sylvia. That's what we're hearing. She was born <laughs> for this. I mean, I can relate. So I'm just sitting here like, clearly Lori is my spirit animal. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love that. <laughs> and so then eventually it would have led you to the, the SPCAI, right? Yeah. So I, uh, after university, I started working in a veterinary hospital, thought, okay, I'm going to become a veterinarian, decided I don't want to become a veterinarian. <laughs> um, I thought the same thing. And then I was like, <laughs> eight years of school, blah. Oh my goodness. I, I cannot stand the sciences. I went back to do chemistry and biology and needed a tutor. And I'm like, this is not for me. <laughs> the blood, all of it. Yeah, that part I don't mind. On um, You know, I, I can see blood and guts and stuff with animals, feces, urine. People, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so at the time, uh, the former executive director of the SBCA that I was volunteering at in Montreal, his vision was always to create um, a program-based organization mm. uh, in the U.S. so that he can help shelters like the one in Montreal all around the world. And so he founded it um, back in 2006 and um you know, we, we kept in touch over the years, but it wasn't until I moved out West uh, and left my job at the veterinary hospital that I went to um, 
and tell me if we're if I'm running. No, you're great. Um, I had gone on a trip to Florida and found out about the situation where people were dumping their unwanted dogs and cats in the Everglades. Mm. And of course we know (laughs) the alligators Mm. and and the snakes and everything um, were eating them up alive. And so I thought, okay, we have to do something about this. And there was, at the time, there was a couple of volunteers going in there every day and rescuing as many as possible. How dangerous. Wow. Yeah, very dangerous. Um, And so I had contacted uh, SBC International at this time. It was back in 2010 or 2011. And they asked me to write a story about it. And um, I guess they liked the way I I, <laughs> they like the way I write. <laughs> and, um, and I started, they asked me if I want to volunteer in the shelter support fund grant um, program, just to write up the grants and research new organizations. So I started off as a volunteer. And then they started slowly getting me into the staff calls. And six months later, I was hired as, a, as an assistant in programs and then kind of built my way up from there to manager and director and here I am. So it was just an organic process from day one. It's amazing. All right. Thank you. We're gonna take we're gonna take one last break and okay. come back with the amazing Lori Califf right after this. <laughs> Uh, so welcome back. So we just got done hearing the story of your journey to the SPCAI. Um, but you've mentioned that you've got other programs that are going on as well. Um, I mean, we've heard Chernobyl and Iraq, but like, what else are you guys working on right now? Yeah, so we also run a veterinary supply aid program. And we deliver on a yearly basis about $8 million worth of veterinary supply aid around the globe. Um, And most of these uh, supplies and medications are to support the spay and neuter um, projects that we're working on as well. Um, So we do that. We build partnerships in areas of the world like Sierra Leone, um, places like you that are, you know, you you wouldn't think that you can touch (laughs) or get to um, Mm. in in developing countries mostly. So we have that program. and we also have, as part of a branch of our military program, we have Operation Military Pets. And um, what we noticed were in um, shelters surrounding bases around the world um, were increasing in size and numbers because uh, service members who were PCSing couldn't afford to bring uh, couldn't afford to bring their animals with them because there's such a high cost of transport. People mm-hmm. don't realize; they think like, "Well, why can't you just put that dog on a plane?" Um, but it costs thousands and thousands of dollars. So we developed a grant program as well for service members to be able to apply for grants so that they can bring their dog and cat with them. So, so they would, um, befriend these animals when they're deployed. Well, that's the, that's the operation Baghdad pups worldwide program. This one is more uh, family based. So they, they're only pets beforehand. Um, the one that you're speaking of is, um, is the ones, like you said, when they're deployed and a dog or cat wanders on base and um, 
there's not a dry eye in the house when I read these applications and when I share it with the team and we see the photos and, um, you know, these dogs and cats help these service members so much. They give them a piece of home when they're on, the, when they're on deployment. Mm. A lot of them have come to me and said, you know, this, this dog saved my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this cat saved my life. Um, so we don't, we never say no. And, you know, there are times when it's the middle of the night and, you know, a bomb just went off near base or something like that. And we have these incredible partners and security teams who risk their lives to be able to go rescue this animal for them because it's so, so important. Um, you know, <laughs> going back to this, where you're asking me what we're working on. And I think that pre-COVID, uh, it was so much simpler <laughs> to be able to transport the animals to the U.S. And when everything stopped, um, you know, back in March, when all the restrictions really started coming into play, we were really stuck. Um, mm. And we had to find such innovative ways to be able to transport the animals to the U.S. without flight volunteers. Um, and in areas of the world where airports were closed down. <laughs> so we had to transport some to other countries. Um, one of the biggest <laughs> feats, I think, was um, hiring a, an aircraft, a chartered plane from the U.S. to fly into Iraq through Baghdad and entering into skies that were closed <laughs> and land in Erbil and pick up 47 dogs and cats. And wow. it took months and months and months of planning. Um, so- Did you guys get media on it? Like, this is what frustrates me about like our news locally. Like this is an amazing story that's having a huge impact and it's such a feel good of so many people coming together to do things across the world and not like- a, I've why? never heard of this. Yes. And I'm very upset. <laughs> well now you did now we'll get it out now there. we know and now all of our listeners know too <laughs> my goodness but i mean you guys are doing this maybe not like super regularly but i mean this is this is your job description this is what you're out there doing you're you're again it's the we've talked about it so many times the human animal bond and it's not mm-hmm. just about saving the animals we're we're talking about saving the animals and the animals that have saved these soldiers the humans, in this particular yeah. like it's the impact on it is so significant and so valuable that there really is not there's no such thing as doing too much to to maintain that and support that yeah and i think too like if we highlight what we all know is well documented like mental health awareness for our veterans and how much we know animals in general help support that and help ease that. Like why, why don't we make it easier for our service men and women to have the animals that they need to help protect them, keep them safe, keep them sane, keep them holistically feeling better while they're out there serving us. And then when they come home, I think that, I think that the service you are doing, through the SPCA AI is just so needed and so undervalued and underappreciated by the masses. I just feel like there should be billboards about this everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) The people need to know. Um, Thank you. You're both hired on our PR team now. (laughs) SPCA has a new radio show. Um, yeah, thank you. You know, we, we try to um, get the word out as much as possible. It's always a challenge. And I think that 
this mission especially, we were hoping for that, but we were competing against the height of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, presidential election. Right. <laughs> yeah, there's some there's been some other political a little feedback around here. <laughs> right. <laughs> um so it's yeah. been a tough year for happy stories here in the United States. Yeah, it's and been that's hard. It, like yeah. and um the other thing and I feel really strongly about this is changing the stigma of rescues into a positive like I don't I don't like the sadness. I am not a big fan of those commercials with the sad music and the hurt animals. The animals in the cage. To me, um, it causes people to look away and makes them think that there's something broken with these animals versus a soldier that was deployed, left his family or his girlfriend or his friend, like whatever it might be, deploys over there, finds a dog, finds a cat, like that brings him some kind of positivity into his life and then comes home with it. Like the impact that that is having is, is huge. And that should be where we're celebrating these stories. Like this is really what should be on all, like that story followed with for only a dollar a day, you can make a difference in a story. That's where we should be going. Yes, For the cost of a coffee. Right. You know, like, come on. Can we do this again another yeah. time? Yes. <laughs> For less than the cost of one cup of coffee, you could reunite a soldier with their pet. I would be like, take my Starbucks yeah. for the day. Sign like, up monthly really for that in a heartbeat. Man, oh man. Thank you. You know, we do have a lot, a lot of feel-good stories, and we we share them publicly with our supporters. We have an incredible, incredible donor base who really, really, really believe in our programs, um, especially this one. And, and, you, and you're right, Jason, there's always a fine line between the story you put out there um, and, and tugging at the heartstrings, but being also very careful that you're not gonna turn somebody away because yeah. it's, you know, there are so many stories out there with, with social media. And Name of course, one person that's ever been like, oh, I so look forward to hearing that song when it comes on the TV. Everybody's like, no, <laughs> change that channel. <laughs> like so sad. All right. Here's the deal. We've come to the end of our show. Oh. I cannot believe it. It has gone by so beyond fast. Um, we have to have you back, Lori. And also I'm going to just stalk you for like the next month. So if you see someone in your bushes, just me, don't be scared. Uh, <laughs> but we always end our show in a very special way. And you haven't had an opportunity to listen to one of our episodes yet, then you are in for a treat. So I will turn it over to my fabulous co-host, Jason, who will lead you out with this little ditty. Are you ready for your dog dad joke? <laughs> see? This is the kind of audience I need every week. <laughs> We're ready. How did, how did the little Scottish dog feel when he saw a monster? He was terrified. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> I had to hold back the snort. I figured you did. <laughs> Just let it all out. That's what we're doing for all the snorts. Well, Lori, thank you for your amazing company and stories. And I, I cannot believe how quickly that went by. Um, you know, now that we have the, the introduction down, I think next time we should just 
like we should do a whole podcast that could just be like we've done Chernobyl. We could do like just these specific adventures and really yeah. dig into like I want to know more about the soldier program. Yeah, and you're Even such a that, good storyteller. Like that soldier in particular and like how all of that went. Like I'm I'm I feel like I'm there and I'm like, the dome is there and I'm looking at the moose, you know, I'm very excited. Uh, So good. Thank you so much. You're making my heart inflate and, and thank you. I'm just going to say thank you. (laughs) Well, until next time. Until next time. Thanks, Lori. Thank you so much for having me. I just want to take a quick moment and thank our amazing guest today, Lori. Um, And yeah, Jason, I guess thank you too for like being here or whatever. Um, Sidekick, just show up from time to time. Stop it. You're an amazing contributor. Um, This show like blew my mind. We can't wait to talk to Lori some more. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode. Um, Anything that we talked about, the websites, the projects that they've got going on, you know, we'll link it in the show notes and also at thedogdishpodcast.com. Make sure to check us out on social media. We are everywhere and anywhere. And um, if you're not already, come on, guys, hit that subscribe button. It's not hard. We want you to be here every week. We have more exciting guests coming. We can't even believe how amazing the support has been for our podcast and And, please um, please reach out like if if you've heard us talk about a topic in particular and you want us to expand even more on that little chunk that we had we are more than happy to bring people back or find additional guests and keep growing that for you yes we want to hear from you because this is your show for our wonderful dog moms and dog pets out there okay so anyways until next time we'll see you hear you Be here. We'll be here. Next week. Until then. Bye. Bye.